Hey, we're talking about rest, and um, I am, I think if you ask my family, I'm, my personality is, uh, I'm optimistic. Uh, I am very optimistic. I believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can, we can, uh, we, we can be um, content with nothing. We can be content with a lot, anywhere in between. And in any circumstance, God can work, a, work through us to accomplish his will in our lives. Amen? I believe that 100% in all seasons. Attached to that optimism, I have a giant um, foundation of reality. Because I think it's naive to walk into something optimistic and not know the reality that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I think it would, it's naive of the church to not understand the reality that we deal with. Amen? And so many people have been disenfranchised from organized church because it promised one thing and then reality struck. And I feel like my job as a pastor is to make sure you understand what comes along with the gospel. What comes along with a relationship with Jesus. And what comes along with serving him and what comes along with submitting your will to him and what comes along with all these things. Uh, because I don't, I don't know if, if any of you that have served God for any length of time, uh, the last time I checked when we serve God, we, we, we still, there's still opportunity to get sick. Any, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's still opportunity to lose money. Uh, by the way, just because you start serving God doesn't mean you're a good business person. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean anything. It means you're saved and going to heaven. It still means you might go bankrupt next year. God's not like, all right, we're going to give you an MBA. No, that's not what happens. So there, there, um, as far as I know, everybody who has accepted Christ up to this point in time has actually died. That, I mean, that's the... It's appointed once to man, the, appointed once to die, and then the judgment, right? That's scripture. So, but somehow we come into church and we start feeling good about it. We're like, man, the presence of God. And, and we just erase all reality. And we go, if I'm serving God, he won't let anything that has happened in the past happen again. And... Uh, and so what happens is we become uh, kind of flaky, we become weak, we become temperamental, we become situational Christians where as long as it's going well, we love Jesus and as soon as it gets hard, we start asking him, we start questioning whether he really knows what he's doing. And my goal for you is to not have to deal with that because if we are, if we go into this eyes wide open then we know what to expect. And, and if you know what to expect, you can live in rest. And so if you know that it's coming, okay, I know it's coming. And I know he'll be with me and I know he'll prepare me and I know he'll empower me and I know, I know he'll do all those things. And so, so it's, it's like for me, it's the prerequisite to having a restful mind and heart is knowing What's coming, and the fact of the matter is, the Bible didn't leave it out. Jesus Himself didn't leave the second part out. He didn't. He didn't leave the the bad stuff out. We might have when we read it, 
but he didn't. And that's what I want to cover today. So I told you last week, we kind of skipped ahead and then we're going to come back to chapter 10 because I thought it was important for you to understand. First of all, there's no chance you're going to have peace in your heart and mind, rest in your heart and mind until, until you've made it right with him, allowed him to carry your sin. So today we're going to get a good dose of reality. Are you ready? Some of you are like, bro, I got way too much reality right now. I just need a dose of euphoria or something. They got pills for that that I don't recommend. We're going to start Matthew chapter 10. And um, I'm going to warn you up front as you stand. Thanks, John. I'm going to warn you up front. I'm going to offend some of you, and I'm going to offend some people online today. I wanted you to have the reality up front. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 33. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So now we got the 12 down. All right. These 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and entered no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep, the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, you'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts to flog and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul how much more will they malign those of his household 
So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim to the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy the both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny them before my father who is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, sometimes... Your word is easy to take in. Sometimes it is, fills us with optimism and hope. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it calls to account. Sometimes it corrects us and rebukes us. Sometimes, Lord, it's what we need in the moment when we don't know we need it. And Lord, I pray that it's that today. I pray that we will go in to this with eyes wide open, with knowing, Lord, exactly what following you looks like. Thank you for the power to do it. Thank you for the promise that you will be with us. Thank you for the assuredness that, that you are enough in every circumstance. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. All right, look at your neighbor and say, get ready for this. <laughs> chapter nine of, at the end of chapter nine, it says that Jesus was going around towns healing and doing all this stuff. The disciples were with him, but it didn't say they were performing any of these miracles. And Jesus tells them at the end of chapter nine, hey, get, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus is going around healing everybody. His disciples are with him, but they're not actually in the game yet. They're kind of like roadies. They're not singing. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, listen, this is like other people are going to have to take this on. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see how many, you see how huge the harvest is and see how few the laborers are. And, and he's like, segues out of that the end of verse chapter nine and he goes right into verse 10 and he sends the 12 out it's the first time they would go out as contractors jesus would not be with them he would he would promise them uh, a giant amount of power that he had not bestowed on them to this point and at the beginning of verse or chapter 10 he would send them out now they would later come back to him and he would say how'd it go and they said man the demons obeyed us we healed the sick. We cast out the, like they were jacked as you can imagine. But up through verse 15, this sounds like a dream job, doesn't it? Let's recount it a little bit. It sounds like a dream job. It sounds like when you go in to your boss and the boss goes, Hey, I want to, I want to promote you today. And you have all the authority you, you need. And if somebody makes you mad, just walk away. And fire him. Could you imagine that? So Jesus says, I'm going to give you the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Now, 
Now, I know this to some of you may sound like a fairy tale, but this was not. This was supernatural power that the disciples are all of a sudden going to be working against the powers of nature, the laws of nature, and they were going to not prescribe medication, but, but Jesus had given them the power to heal the sick, to raise dead people, and to cast out demons. Now, this is... This is unbelievable authority to walk into a town and perform these type of miracles. And then he goes a step farther and he says, hey, listen, if you go into a house, don't take anything with you. Now, some modern people try to translate that into like, you should sell everything you have and go around to the town. Don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus was telling them the specific time. Don't carry anything with you. Don't, don't try to support yourself in this because I want to show you what this looks like. And so he said, don't take an extra coat. Don't take extra sandals. Don't, don't do those things. People are, some people are going to receive you and some people aren't. And I'm going to show you how I'll take care of you. Now, you do notice that none of those 12 guys are dragging around kids with them. So if you're a father to kids... Don't look at your wife and say, I heard from the Lord today, we're selling everything. Don't take any extra coats for the kids. Don't do that. All right. He says, if you go into a house and the house is worthy of it, let your peace rest there. If not, take it back with you. And if you go into some place and they don't receive you, stand at the edge of that city and shake. Don't even carry the dirt from that place on your feet and you walk off. And I'm telling you, that fits my personality perfect. Anybody else think that would be a dream job? Hey, I'm coming to tell you the truth and I'll raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. And if you don't like it, I'm going to go to the next town. I didn't need none of y'all anyway. I don't even want friends. Think about that. That's chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. That sounds amazing. And, and And the thing is, is that that's the way most people coming to Christ interpret what's going to happen. 1 through 15. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And he's going to give me the authority. And my husband is going to just step in line. My wife is going to, my kids all of a sudden. When I walk in the house after I give my life to Christ, everybody's going to know something's different. And everything's going to fall right into line. And if they don't like it. I'm going to go in and tell my boss, hey, this is the way it's going to work from here on out. I just, I'm following Jesus now. Yeah, I'd be careful with that. As we'll find out in verses 16 through 33. But that's the myth that we've been sold in modern day Christianity. That, that following the will of God just means power and authority and blessing and, and, and provision. Man, you don't have to take anything with you. God will just provide. It sounds like a fairy tale almost. It sounds unbelievable. It sounds crazy. It is the definition of a great day, isn't it? I love it. And, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Hey, I'm coming to stay with you. And this is awesome. 
as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. I'm like, man, eh, I'm not feeling it at your house anymore. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go. Then he says in verse 15, truly I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town if they reject you. Sounds like a beautiful day. The expectations, I have all the power and authority to complete the task I've been given. I have the power and authority to leave those who do not accept me and the confidence that they will be punished and I'll be rewarded. Think about that. The expectation of peace, of people, of circumstances, results will determine if, if it's just all put together right there, verse 1 through 15. It's the, it's the exact thing that we're all looking for. You give me the power to do, to do all the good stuff and then you protect me from all the crazies. Yeah. And if, and if Jesus had left it there with the 12, they would have been in trouble. Just like the modern day church is a lot of times. Because we preach prosperity and goodness and if you do the right things. And, and, and it, really, it really is not so much about Jesus and it, and it goes back to us doing the right things. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says, you can't do enough. This is not by works in case you want to boast about it. This is a gift of God. This salvation thing isn't, it's not, this is not a story of you got in line and you did all the right things and then God promoted you. It's a story of you were not able to make it happen. What we just talked about, you were not able to make it happen. And God in his grace and mercy sent Jesus to do it for us. And now we get to accept his gift to us. Amen. And so inadvertently what we preach, maybe on purpose in some circumstances is if we do the right things, if we line up, if we, if we get in line and do the right things and say the right things and give the right things and, and treat people the right way, all that stuff that God is so favorable to us that he will then start moving on our behalf. And that's not Bible. And if we do all those things, then bad stuff won't ever happen to us. And that's the expectation. And trust me, after almost a quarter of a dec- a quarter of a century doing this, uh, I hear, I've heard a lot of people over the years go, I don't understand why God is doing this. I don't understand why God's letting this happen. I don't understand. I don't understand. And it's because we've built the gospel on verses 1 through 15, and we've left out 16 through 33. Because Jesus absolutely ends up warning them. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? Yeah. I remember as a kid uh, listening to him on the, my dad would, whatever old country radio station we were listening to, um, Paul Harvey would still come on. He came on in the middle of the day, right? And he would go, and now for the rest of the story, right? That's, that's what happened. And I actually looked it up, uh, I looked up YouTube uh, which I don't think there was any videos of Paul Harvey, but there was plenty of audio. And I remember it took me all the way back as a kid and he'd tell a story and it would be so neat. And then he would, you'd be right on the edge. And then he would say, and now, and then it would go to a commercial and then it would come back now for the rest of the story. And then he would tell you the backstory to the whole thing. And you were like, 
even as a little kid, I'd be like, oh man, this is crazy. And you would find out the rest of the story. So look at your neighbor and say, and now for the rest of the story. Because verses 1 through 15 are not complete without 16 through 33. It's not a complete story yet. And this is the, this is the deal. Jesus wanted to make sure I'm sending you. Remember, pray the Lord the harvest that he would send laborers because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But Jesus does not send out laborers that he doesn't prepare. It's one thing to empower people. It's another thing to prepare them. I need you to understand this. Because all of you have worked in circumstances where people were given jobs that they weren't ready for. Amen? And you're like, oh, look out. Billy just got promoted. This ain't going to go well. It has nothing to do with whether Billy had the power or not because whoever promoted him gave him the authority to do whatever he was going to do. The trouble that everybody and the rest of the people in the building understood was Billy didn't have the ability to do it. He was never prepared to be in that position. And so what you find scripturally is that God has prepared people to be in the position that he promotes them to. And this is the way Jesus is doing it right here. Now the disciples have been going around watching him and it's like, okay, yeah, man, we got this. We saw Jesus do the heal people. I'll just do it the same way as he did. And when he, when he did this, I'll do it the same way. He did. But he had to prepare him for the rest of the story. And that starts in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Hey, wait a second. I thought we had all the power. Last time I calculated sheep were prey and wolves were predators, right? Okay. But if I have the power to heal the sick, don't I have a power? Don't I, shouldn't I have power to kill wolves? That would be awesome. Maybe we should recalculate this a little bit, Jesus. Maybe you should send me out as the wolf slayer. <laughs> but Jesus didn't mince words. He said, I'm giving you the power to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim peace over household or keep it, walk away from a town. I'm giving you the power to do all that, but I need you to understand where you fit in the whole scheme of things, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise. Verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to the courts to flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles when they deliver you over. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents, and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This just turned into not a great day. Come on, are you following me? But the one who endures to the end will be saved, for when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, 
It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And Jesus just gave them the rest of the story. Now you say, Pastor Chris, I came here this morning to, you know, get a little boost for my week. And here you are. You're kind of a killjoy this morning. Like this, how's this going to help me get through? How's this going to help me overcome? How's this going to help me in the gym tomorrow morning? How's this going to help? Because you won't have less, listen to me. It's not the issue of you having less power. It's having you being more aware of what's happening. So here's what I see happen all the time. God gives us the power to overcome. And then we actually run into a circumstance that we need to overcome. And we weren't expecting it. And we forget we have the power. You know, my wife and I, um, when the kids are growing up, we, we would camp out on Shingatig Island all the time. And, uh, and if any of you have ever pulled a camper very far, you know that what, what's common with pulling campers? Flats. Maybe you just got yours and you haven't experienced a flat yet, but it's coming. Trust me. Now, if you just pull it to Williamsport, you may never experience that. But if you pull it to Tennessee, something's going to go flat. It's, it's going to happen. And I remember we pulled camper for a long time and really never had a flat. But you know what I always did? I always had a spare and a jack and the tools to change it because I was expecting it. Are you following me? Now, we went years without a flat. Years. And I thank God for that. I thank God for the power to, to do what we did and enjoy it and, and live a good life and, and go down there and fight the mosquitoes. And I just loved it. But, but there was one year we pulled up and had a flat tire. There's one year we went to Tennessee and drove all the way back. And we're on 81 around Woodstock, Virginia. And pow! And I'm like... And my daughter goes, Dad, the tire's flat. And, and so I pull off the interstate, and it's on the interstate side. So my kids jump out, and my kids are pretty cool. They're going to fix it. I'm like, get away from the interstate. You know, they're just, we didn't teach them about the interstate thing yet. Um, so I'm like crawling under the camper, putting the jack on. But here's the deal. I didn't lose my stuff because I had been expecting it. Because I knew the whole story with them. I knew when you pull a camper, tires blow. It's part of, it's part of camping. It's just part of it. You're going, to have, you're going to have an air condition go out in the middle of the trip at some point in time. You're going to have these things happen. And so I didn't ruin the day by screaming and yelling at everybody and going, God, why did you let this happen? Because God would have replied, you're the one that's dragging the camper, not me. <laughs> Do you see how it works? I'm talking about rest. And the reason the church can't be at rest is because we won't accept the rest of the story. 
Because we want all, we want one through 15. But when we get to 16 through 33, we go, God, you can't, that can't happen. That can't be us. I can't, that can't, people can't not like me. People are like, like we got to be the cool church where everybody comes in and feels good about themselves and, and gets accepted. That's what, that's what, that's what church world tells you to do. Make an environment where everybody feels accepted, where everything is good and everything is you're, you're perfect the way God made you. And then we get down past verse 33. You probably, hopefully might have read the next the next thing Jesus said where he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. The church is skipping over this over and over and over again because, because we, we want to be liked. I don't like it when people don't like me. Anybody else? I mean, I may get over it faster than you, but I don't like it originally. As great as the first 15 verses of chapter 10 are, Jesus would not have been doing his due diligence without telling them the rest of the circumstance. Could you imagine going, getting sent out thinking, man, I'm going to be the star of this town. We're going to heal the sick and raise the dead. People are going to love us. It's going to be unbelievable. We're bringing some to this town nobody's ever brought before. And then all of a sudden getting run out getting drugged before the officials and flogged. Could you imagine that being the response and you being unprepared for it? Jesus wouldn't let that happen. But we can't ignore that the modern church seems to be content with a ton of anxious people who've been given half the story. They can't figure out I can't figure out why this promise of Jesus was so great, but then life is still real. And that sometimes people don't agree with them. When you read the Bible and then you tell somebody what you read, they don't automatically go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you told me. Jesus gave them power, but he also managed expectations. None of the disciples would be ignorant of what they were facing. There was no best life now speeches. There was no, there was no guarantee that certain afflictions wouldn't come to people with faith. Jesus presented a gospel that included raising the dead and being thrown in jail. Did you hear that? Jesus included a gospel that, that had raising the dead and being persecuted. And that seems so awkward for Americans to understand. Because we have our rights and our freedoms and our ability to do all this stuff. But, but can, I, can, can, we just have, can we just have a little secret talk between us? I don't know if you turned the news on lately, but it has not been moving favorably towards the church. And the church is still preaching. If you come to Jesus, everything's going to be fine. And yet you start to watch the news and yet you start to, your kids come home from school and you go, what, what, what did you just say? Where did you, you go to work, you, you start finding out the closer you get to Jesus. And listen, I'm not a us, I'm not us them, but, but I'm saying 
it wouldn't be real if we didn't take into account reality. I'm still optimistic. I'm still optimistic of starting more churches, of, of seeing more people come to Christ. But the reality is, the closer we get to Jesus returning, the Bible tells us that the, that the hearts of men will grow cold towards the gospel. And it's happening all over the world. Yes, the gospel is still advancing, but it's not being embraced. It's not culturally being embraced. So what do we... We have to have an accurate expectation to have a a peaceful heart. If I don't flip out because there's a, a, a trailer has a flat tire, it's because I was expecting the flat tire. Now, I know what some of you are going to do. You're going to walk out tomorrow and somebody's going, how's it going? Well, we're just waiting on Jesus to come back because this world's horrible. (laughs) It is terrible, man. I just can't, man, if I make it one more day. Don't do that. We already had an Eeyore. And it was a cartoon. No, we still get to go out. It didn't say they didn't go out and cast out demons. It says they went out and cast out demons and they knew what to expect. And when they returned to Jesus, they understood what that authority looked like. And when, and when they ended up persecuting Jesus and then later all these things would come true about them, you didn't see any of them, with the exception of Judas, run away because he had prepared them as well as empowered them. And my, my duty as a pastor is not to fill your brains with, with like, oh, it's going to be glorious and this is going to be wonderful. I want to fill your brains with, you have the power to overcome, but there will be things to overcome. Sometimes it'll be your family. Sometimes it'll be the people you work with. Sometimes it'll be um, your health. Sometimes it'll be, sometimes it'll be culture. Sometimes, but there will be a ton of things to overcome and we need accurate expectations to have a peaceful heart. Now the beautiful thing is in Matthew chapter 10 verse 26 he says don't fear. Look at your neighbor and say don't fear. So we've been given the power we've been prepared and now we can be at rest. We don't have to fear and we don't he even uses the word anxious. We don't have to be anxious. He says, listen, if two sparrows fall to the ground, they're sold for a penny. Doesn't God know that? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You're more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus Jesus taught the disciples that the difference between peace and fear is the one who possesses ultimate authority. So Jesus said, don't, be, don't, don't worry about this body and who can, who, who can take this body. They don't have the authority that I have. It's not about being liked. It's not about preserving life. It's not about those things. It's about, God, I'm submitting to your authority. And I don't have to fear because you have ultimate authority. Amen? So that's where our peace comes from. That's where our rest comes from. So we're not looking for a perfect day, but to a perfect savior. 
My hope is not based on my circumstances. My power is not based on my circumstances. It's not like if I have a good day, I have more power in Christ. It's not if I have a bad day, I have less power in Christ. He has given them power. Amen. When he sent them out, they had power, whether the town received them or not. Did you hear that? The power didn't ebb and flow concerning how they woke up that morning. So my hope is not based on my circumstances or, or, or a perfect day, but on the one who cares for me and equips me, the one who will bear the burden with me. He said he will be with us. Amen. So I'm going to leave you with this last part. Stand to your feet. And this is what this looks like today. I'm going to just be, I told you I was offend you and I'll wait till the end. Here we go. I want to warn you up front. I want you to have expectations. Jesus goes on to say after this, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And he goes on to describe how the gospel would divide. Come on. The gospel would divide. If I say, if I say, now I may not get in too much trouble in this crowd if I say some of these things. But you know for a fact there are certain places where I get run out of town for saying something I'm getting ready to say. If I said greed is a sin, everybody here would go. Amen. Amen. We believe in that. Them greedy rich people. Okay. If I said adultery was a sin, just like last Sunday, less, but it was pretty good. Adultery is a sin. Abortion, a sin. Oh, I'm starting to get into it now, aren't I? Homosexuality is a sin. Do you see, do you see where the gospel starts to divide? And the expectation is this. That you can walk out of here full of Jesus and full of the Bible and express those things in a pagan world and not have any consequences. Jesus was saying that's not true. He was saying that's not true. When you go into a pagan world, he sent them to the lost sheep of Israel. People who had walked away from God. He said if you walk into people who don't embrace God and you start proclaiming God's truth to them... A vast majority of them are not going to accept it. Amen? He said, so I need to prepare you for that. I didn't come to just make peace with everybody. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel redeems and saves and empowers and gives you eternal life. It does all those things. But it is not a peacemaker. It can give you rest and peace in your heart. But between people, it is controversial. And I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody. I'm just trying to create a real expectation that if, that if we really serve God and we really embrace what he told us, then there's going to be times sitting at a dinner table where, where it's like, we really disagree on this. So I need you to have the whole picture. This is not about us, the church, walking into the world and the world going, we love the church. It is amazing. Because my fear is if we get that response from the whole world, then we haven't proclaimed the whole word. Because Jesus said this is not that even he himself coming didn't come to bring peace. 
but a dividing line. As soon as Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son, he drew a line in the sand and went, this is right and that's wrong. And a church that doesn't understand that moving forward is setting themselves up for failure. It's a church that has power at their disposal, but no preparation. And when he sent the 12 out, he said, there's all the power you need, but I need to prepare you. When you go into a town and start proclaiming me as savior and healing the sick, they will run you out. They will run you out. So it's nice. It's all nice when you start, when you go, I'm going to give to this charity. I'm going to give to that charity, but I need to let you know I'm giving because Jesus is my savior. We don't need that money. Oh, we're going to do this nice over here. Why? Because I'm a Christian and Jesus saved me and he, nope. Now, if Jesus is going to be attached to it, we don't need it. So what the church does is we do good without attaching Jesus to it. That's what the modern day church started doing. Well, people would like us better if we just do good without the gospel coming along with it. And that is self-defeating, by the way. Do you understand that? And so a good deed without the gospel attached to it, what is it? It's an easy way not to be divisive. And the church has embraced those things. And so what I'm asking you to do is to take the whole reality of what he's called us to do and the understanding that, listen, he's called me to do good, but he hasn't called me to do good detached from the gospel, detached from the truth. He's called me to proclaim the truth and do good at the same time. And if that causes me to be unliked, then that I got to be prepared for that. I got to be prepared for that flat tire. Amen. And so I need you to walk out of the building today with your head up high, willing to do good, willing to attach the gospel to it, and willing to endure whatever comes with that. And he said he would empower us to do it. Amen. Come on, let's pray that way. Let's pray that he give us that strength this week. Father, we thank you that Jesus gave us the whole story. That it wasn't just a kumbaya moment. It wasn't just... Everything's going to be fine, but he gave us the whole story. And Lord, we pray that we'd be a church that embraces the whole story, that we'd have the, that we'd really lean into this. And we could be at rest in our souls because we know the expectation. We're not going to be caught off guard. We are prepared for what you've called us to do. Thank you for not leaving anything out. Thank you for giving us the rest of the story. Thank you for preparing us to use your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, could you say amen this morning? Amen. Hey, listen, do that this week. Do good, but don't leave the gospel out of it. We'll see you back here next week.